You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. This morning we want to kick off a series called The Jesus Church. The Jesus Church. And I believe that at all times we have a decision before us. It's a decision to either base our view of the church and God's plan for the church on what we've experienced in the past or what our, our maybe uh, church history. Or we can base our view and our, our faith in the church based on God's intention, on what God's word says, what God's word sets before us as the, the high standard, the high, high value of his plan for the church. We always have this decision. Are we going to keep our eyes set back on the past, on maybe the, the, um, the brokenness of church history or our own hurts, uh, issues that we've come across to people that have acted uh, wrongly or ina- been an inaccurate picture of what Christ is like? Or are we going to base it on what the Word of God sets in motion for us? So for the next several weeks, we're going to be diving through the book of Acts, a historical book, but it's a book that sets in motion, I feel like, a high standard that we're going to contend for and uh, hear names and for our church. So if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Acts chapter 4. Before we begin to read from Acts chapter 4, I just want to set the stage for where this series came from. The last eight months, we've been, we've been declaring this theme over our church, Discover More. It's been obnoxiously, largely written across the stage behind me all year long. Discover more, but discover more comes from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is this just epic prayer of the, Apostle, of the Apostle Paul. You can just feel the passion. He believes what he's praying over these believers in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 1, he says, I'm constantly thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so you might grow in the knowledge of God. He knows that there is more available in Christ than where the, the Ephesian believers were at. And so he knew that what they needed was not an, an academic pursuit or uh, a mental ascent. What they needed was spiritual wisdom and insight, a special grace from heaven above that God would just give them soft hearts to receive all that he has for them. As he continues that prayer, though, I want to I wanna set the stage for where this series comes from. Because as he continues to pray in that way, give him spiritual wisdom and insight, Lord. He says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called. So one aspect of that growing in spiritual wisdom and insight and growing in the knowledge of God is that we might have a confident hope that we might be the most hope-filled human beings on the planet. I believe believers should be that. When people are around us, they should, the hope that we have should rub off on them. They should have a, a brighter view of the future. We have hope in Christ. And then he says in verse 19, he, he continues that prayer. He says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seat him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. So that second aspect of growing in the knowledge of God is that they might understand the power that resides inside them. 
The same power that raised Christ from the dead. How often do we live oblivious to that power that is resident inside of us? So often, Monday through Sunday, I, I live my life oblivious to that, but oh, I want to grow in that. I want to discover more of what Christ has for me. And so for Paul, he's praying that they might have a more confident hope, that they might have a greater burning reality of the power that resides inside of them. Amen? I want that in my life, and I want that for our church. I want that for every single one of you. But now look at where he leads in verse 21. He just begins to declare who Jesus is. Now he is far above any ruler, any authority, or power, or leader, or anything else. Jesus Christ, he's above all, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. Just if there's any question, both in this world and any spiritual dimension, any world to come, any age to come, Jesus sits above it all. He's, God has put all things under the authority of Christ, has made him head over all things for what? For the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It's made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. So he, he, sets, he sets things straight, sets things right. This is the, the, the proper pecking order of the universe. Jesus Christ sets at the head of it all. And then what does he say? for the benefit of the church, which we are his body. So we have an authority and a power that we move forward in, in Christ. We are the embodiment, the representation of Jesus Christ on the earth. Sadly, I feel like many times in my own life, and as I rub shoulders with many other believers and many others that maybe are seeking or potentially uh, checking out the things of God, we have a view of the church that's based on horrific things from our history, which I don't for a moment condone at all. They're all horrific. Genocide, scandal, uh, hypocrisy, legalism, Religious just staleness, deadness that's plagued the church for ages. None of that stuff is all right. But so often in the headlines in our own minds and our hearts, that has stolen the show. That's what's, that's what's captivated our attention. And so we're fixated on the things that mar our history, which I don't for a moment condone. Believe me. They're not of Christ. Those are, those are things of the enemy. But if we set our sights on what Jesus paid a price for, what he purchased for us on the cross. He purchased something so high and so mighty, a glorious bride, a beautiful bride, a powerful bride. So there's not to be any question in our hearts where we stand on this earth. We are supposed to be light in the darkness. We're supposed to be hope. We're supposed to be in the embodiment of Christ. And when people are around us, they see Jesus. And when we invite people into our homes, it's like, wow, they see Jesus. They see Jesus. I thought I knew what Christianity was all about until I hung out with these people, and then, then I saw Jesus. You see, I feel like we can be known for a lot of things in this city. We can be known as the church on the corner of Burnett and 13th. We can be known as the church across the street from the fire station. We can be known as the church with great coffee, which, by the way, now we're serving morning bell coffee. Amen, amen. That's so good. We can be known as the friendliest church in town, and all those things are fine. They're dandy. At the end of the day, I would love, I would love it if people described us as the Jesus Church. That when people step into our church, they say, I met Jesus. I thought I knew who he was. 
historically or as a religious figure, but no, now I met Jesus. That's my prayer for us. See, this is the thing. A Jesus church is a simple church. A Jesus church, we don't need all the bells and whistles. Not that we don't embrace the 21st century. But a Jesus church can keep it simple. We can, we, we can be okay with Jesus getting all the attention. Communicators can come and go. Worship leaders can come and go. But at the end of the day, we want Jesus to get the attention. So we're going to use the book of Acts, not because the book of Acts, which is the, really the story of the, the first number of decades of the early church, not because the, book, the church in the book of Acts is a perfect church, but because I believe God sparked something in the early church that I want to be rekindled in us here in the 21st century. Right here in Ames, we, we live in a great city, but I believe Ames needs a, a fresh representation of who Jesus is, our neighborhoods, our kids, the college campus, and even globally, God wants this church to strategically be a part of embodying who he is, representing who he is on the earth today. So Acts chapter 4, this is good stuff right here at the beginning of the story. Let's just pray before we read Acts chapter 4. Lord, you are here this morning. You fill this place with your goodness, with your kindness. And it's that kindness that leads us to repentance. And so, God, we don't want to have eyes fixed on what has been. Brokenness, broken distrust, people that are maybe hate-filled, bigoted, mean, legalistic, whatever, God. We don't want our eyes fixed on those things that lead us down the paths of unbelief and, and cynicism. God, we... This morning, I want to repent and turn towards your best, your standard for us as a church, which is a beautiful bride, a glorious church, full of power and authority to do great things for today in the 21st century. We're just saying yes to that this morning. I pray that you'd make it come alive in our hearts, that it seem tangible. In your mighty name, amen. So Acts chapter 4, I'll just give you some context as to what we're diving into here. This is still early on in the, like the infant stage of the church. Jesus ascended to heaven. He gave them the mission. They received the power of the Holy Spirit. An outpouring of God just took place in Jerusalem. And they're just on cloud nine. They're just loving it. Thousands of people are coming to know Jesus. One day, Peter and John are on their way to the temple. They see a lame beggar. Peter's grabs him by the hand and says, rise up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And this man does. But the religious leaders, many of the same leaders that crucified Jesus just weeks prior, now are, now are persecuting Peter and John. And so Peter and John here in Acts chapter 4 are standing before the, the religious leaders and they're kind of, um, they're testifying as to what took place. Someone was healed. Oh, so it's a bad thing here. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And for some, specifically the Sadducees, that was scandalous for them to continue to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But they couldn't help but proclaim what actually took place. 
So they arrested them, they put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to, or, sorry, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Luke, Dr. Luke, many scholars believe that Luke was a first century doctor, which was much different than being a doctor today. But still, regardless, he was a doctor, so I don't see Luke as one to exaggerate. And here in this day, 5,000 men come to know Jesus, which was common in the first century for them to only count men, which it's then safe to believe that 15, somewhere around 15,000 people would have come to know Jesus if you count women and children. But Luke just kind of says it in passing. They heard the word of the Lord. They believed. It says, On the next day, the rulers and the elders, scribes, gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all his people, all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the one that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the, the cornerstone. Excuse me. And, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among, among men by which we must be saved. And we're going to stop right there for a moment, because that becomes the mantra of the early church. There is hope through no one else than Jesus Christ himself. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That's the, the mantra they can continue to come back to. And so I believe a Jesus church, the Jesus church, believes that Jesus can save all, that Jesus truly is the hope of the world. And we have the answer, that we, we hold in our midst the answer for the ails of our generation. That Jesus truly is the hope of the world. There's salvation through no one else. Do we believe it? Does it burn in our hearts? Peter, when he's pushed to the limit, when he's, when he's uh, under, under the heat of being you know, persecuted by these religious leaders, what does he declare? He can't help but declare there's salvation through no one else than Jesus Christ himself. And I believe that's, that's a message that fueled the early church. 3,000 people give their hearts to Christ on Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, here in Acts chapter 4, upwards of 15,000 people receive the Lord because this was their mantra. And this is well before the age of mass media and, and huge crusades, big-name speakers, and, and amazing music. No, this is just the pure, simple good news of Jesus Christ as burning in their hearts. There's, there's salvation through no one else but Jesus Christ. So as a Jesus church, I want this to be a burning conviction in our hearts that Jesus can save all. And so what that means is that we truly believe that Jesus is for our entire city. Our entire city, 70,000 70, people that we truly believe that Jesus is for them all. Not just for a little sub segment of our town, 
But literally for our entire city, Jesus is for them. He is the hope of this city. We need to believe it. And we need to dive into Scripture and let it pour over our hearts until we do believe it. Because this was the way the early church operated. When they saw a city, they had this message burning on their hearts, and they, I, I want this city to believe in Jesus. I want them to turn to Jesus. And Ames is a great city. That was, me and my wife have now been here for seven years. We consider it home. We love this city. Some amazing people here. Every, every, actually, on a monthly basis, I gather with a number of other pastors, you know, like, like-minded, like-hearted churches from across this city, and, and I love these men. Consider them brothers in Christ, and God's doing some amazing things in churches across our city. In these gatherings, we talk about all sorts of things. It's not all strictly business. We talk about family and life and hobbies and ministry, and there's, a, there's an amazing camaraderie, so thankful for that group. But I can't help, as I leave any of those meetings, realize as I walk around this city that most people still do not know Jesus. In Story County, it's considered 50% of our, of our county is still considers themselves religiously unaffiliated. And is that okay with our church? As I walk around campus, as I walk around my own neighborhood, I know personally, firsthand, most people in my own neighborhood do not know Jesus. And is that okay with us? Do we sit passively by, just being okay with the status quo of what we've accepted as normal, or are we going to reset our normal based on what we read here in Scripture? Because they turned the world upside down. If you look at Acts chapter 17, verse 6, this is later on, now years later, but now their reputation is starting to precede them. Here they come to the city of Thessalonica, a prominent city, and in Thessalonica, it says, these men who have turned the world upside down now have come here also. They have been turning the world upside down. And that's not because they're always amazingly popular everywhere they go. But they carry this message with such fervor and with such passion that towns and cities are turned upside down. Meaning economies, industries are turned upside down because people are turning from idolatry. People are turning from prostitution, from drunkenness to the things of God. And they're turning the world upside down. Culture is being shifted because prominent leaders are coming to Christ. That is the force and the authority of the church that God is calling us to. To be a force for good and hope in this world and in our city. Two chapters later in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, he says, this is now the, considering the, Paul, uh, the ministry of Paul, he says, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. They could confidently say that in the region of Asia, literally every person heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Now, crossing cultural divides, the gospel is truly infiltrating this entire region. I believe for the day when every single person in our city would hear clearly the good news of Jesus Christ. I have too many conversations with people as we begin to talk about Christianity and the good news of Jesus. We were, we're beginning to talk about a message they had never heard before. They thought they knew what Christianity was. They thought they knew what church was. They'd maybe sit, sat on a pew for years. They never heard the good news of Jesus, salvation through grace, childlike faith of surrendering your life to a, a living, loving God. 
and entering into relationship with that God. They'd never heard that. So it means Jesus for the entire city, and I want this to pour over us until we believe it. I know as you're all staring at me, and maybe we don't believe it yet, I'm going to contend until we do believe it. Another aspect of it is Jesus for every individual. Every individual. Jesus is sufficient Savior for. This is the best and the worst, because our town has them all. We have some great people in Ames. But Jesus died for the best. Those that have integrity, those who are good, just upstanding citizens, Jesus died for them. We see in Acts chapter 10, the story of Cornelius, which the Bible describes as God-fearing and devout, but yet he needed a Savior. He was a man of integrity, respected man, respected by his family, and yet Cornelius needed an encounter with Christ himself. And I believe there's many amazing people in our city but yet they, at the end of the day, they need an encounter with Jesus Christ himself. They're separated from the Father unless they surrender themselves to Jesus Christ. Jesus also died for the worse. You know, two chapters prior, Acts chapter 8, we see the story of Simon the sorcerer encountering Christ. This is a man whose entire livelihood is built on deception, uh, sorcery, and, and, and magic. And then he encounters the real power of Christ, and everything changes. The very next chapter is probably the worst of the worst. It's Acts chapter 9. We come to Saul encountering Christ. Murderous, hate-filled. I mean, this guy literally killed believers. And yet his heart was softened by the good news of Jesus Christ. We have to look at our city and believe that Jesus can save them all. He can save the best. He can save the worst. I was recently at Story County Jail having a conversation with a man who's had a difficult time with drug addiction and, and got himself in some trouble. And he began unpacking his story, and he talked about how in his story he's been trapped in the drug cultures and surrounding communities, but he's always avoided the drug culture here in Ames. Because here in Ames, the reputation of our city in, the, in this this kind of underground drug culture, is that it's spiritually dark. They infuse spiritualism in with their, their drug abuse and, and their drug usage. Most of us, I know, we're all like, well, completely oblivious to that culture, but that's the reputation of surrounding communities. Here's a man who's made repeatedly bad decisions, and yet he would avoid aims because that culture exists here. Are we going to believe that God can reach into those places? Are we going to continue to sit passively by accepting the status quo. We have to believe that we have an answer, that we have a church that can penetrate into those places, to the darkest places of our city, that we have hope. We'll see the city turned upside down. A couple weeks ago, I sat with a man in my office who, two years ago, was homeless. Underneath a bridge until a, a, a couple of believers came to him with a hot cup of coffee. He had been in and out of church throughout his life. But it wasn't until he met these believers who actually now embodied uh, the life and the love of Jesus. And through a simple hot cup of coffee to a uh, rejected, neglected homeless guy, the love of Christ penetrated his heart. And he was sitting in my office, well-dressed, well-spoken. You would have never known he was homeless two years prior. But that's the hope of the message that we carry, that we are stewards of. And I pray that it would burn in our hearts and push us beyond the status quo.
Let's keep reading the story in Acts chapter 4. Because he says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. These are, just, these are unlearned men, fishermen. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I want to ask you, do people recognize that you've been with Jesus? But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But, but in order that it may spread, spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had heard, or when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. There's no arguing with the miraculous work of God that had taken place that day. And even though these religious leaders weren't going to believe in Christ, they weren't going to surrender their lives to Christ, they could not argue with the demonstrative power of God that took place that day. And so I believe a Jesus church believes, yes, that Jesus can save all, but they also believe that Jesus can do all. They truly believe in the God of the miraculous. And so instead of racking their brains intellectually, theologically, in academia to try to explain away why the church is powerless, they instead truly believe with simple childlike faith that God is the God that we read about, that God is the God of the miraculous, that God can truly do things that we could never do. So Jesus truly can do all. This was the normal part of Christianity at the first, in the first century. And all that we would return back to that age of simple faith, believing that God can still do all. In Acts chapter 2, verse 43, we see, And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. That was the way of life, signs and wonders and miracles. Later in Acts chapter 4, verse 34, so later in this chapter, there was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of land or house, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was this miraculous provision of God. As God's people rallied and came to know Jesus in greater degree, there was this miraculous provision that took care of practical needs. Oh, that we would be that, the embodiment of Christ, to actually meet the needs of people, yes, in our city, in our neighborhoods. I pray for that day. Acts chapter 5, verse 16, it says, The people also gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. They were all healed. They didn't have to sit and explain why some weren't healed, because they were all healed. They began to gather them from other towns, and they're all healed. I want to have that type of simple faith that just believes that God can do the miraculous. And for this man here in Acts chapter 4, he, he walked with this ailment of being lame. Or he didn't walk around. He sat begging on the streets with this ailment 
It says he was 40 years old. He lived with it for decades. And yet in that moment, the love of God didn't just become words that someone spoke about, but instead it penetrated to his real need. And it allowed him to stand up and walk. So Jesus can do all. Firstly, that means miraculous provision. Jesus miraculously provides. And when people encounter Christ, they can see that he's a generous God. That God takes care of his children. And God desires for our church to be a conduit of blessing. That when people are around us, like, these are the most generous people that I've ever encountered. They're so, they're always giving, they're always giving, they're always fulfilling needs. And I pray for that day upon us. That we have the resources to truly be the conduit of blessing that God has called us to, to be. Just a couple of weeks ago, I got a phone call from a couple that said they wanted to give away a car. They had, they had an old car that they didn't have a need for. Fortunately, we had heard of, a, of another individual in our church who had given all of his money away for a missions trip. So here's this culture of, of giving and generosity. One person gives for missions, and God supplies the need through another couple. And that's, the, that's just the, the, the beginnings, but I pray for more and more of that type of generosity where we just give. We just, we're just generous because that's the heart of God towards us. We don't have sticky fingers hanging on to everything, but instead we, we give and God miraculously provides to those around us and to the city around us. I believe God wants to catalyze something in our church to represent him by actually meeting practical needs in our city and in our globe. God is calling us to great things. Big things. Bigger than you can now even calculate or imagine. God wants to begin to spark those dreams in our hearts. Things that we could partner with globally, financially, to be a part of. Second aspect of the fact that Jesus can do all is healing. Healing was a major part of the New Testament church. They actually believed that by his stripes we are healed. And so sadly in the Western church, people sit and they pay money to come up with great articulations and understandings of why God wouldn't heal today. And I, I'm, I'm just, I'm sick of that. I'm tired of that. I just want to believe, as Scripture says, that by his stripes we are healed. And the reason I, I burn with conviction for this is because it's a part of my own story. My wife herself has been healed of heart arrhythmia, uh, uh, lactose intolerance, kidney stones. And so she sits here as a, a walking testimony of the miraculous power of God's healing. Me and my wife were childhood sweethearts, so I grew up with her. Only girl I ever dated, but in high school, we sat in the front, front seats of, of our church. One morning, we saw a lady wheeled in with MS and multiple sclerosis, and she walked out standing, upright, fully healed by the power of Jesus. And see, in my own mind, in my own heart, I have the same questions you do. So Drew, why, don't, why doesn't everyone get healed? Or how come we don't, why, why doesn't everyone we pray for get healed? I don't know. I just know that I'm going to base what I believe on Scripture. And when I look at Scripture, I see time and time again that they believe for God to heal. And so I'm going to continue to contend for that. I'm going to continue to set my standards on what Christ purchased for us on the cross instead of what's taken place in the past. That was the simple faith they walked in. I think... I think the fact that Peter and John were unlearned, uneducated, actually suited them a little better for just humbly receiving and walking in the promises of God. They just believed it.
What if we just believed it? What if we just believe that God can do what he wants to do? And it's all for his glory. It's a, for some, they just need a touch from God. When people walk around with physical ailments, many times what accompanies physical ailments is emotional hurt, emotional uh, feeling like isolated, like no one knows what they feel. Imagine when God reaches in and touches them, miraculously healing their physical ailment, all of a sudden they realize someone knows that God actually sees the pain they walk in. And maybe there's some here this morning that just need a touch from God and you can be convinced that God sees you in your pain. I believe that for our church. I want that to be the standard. Thirdly, when we believe that Jesus can do all, we believe for restoration. Entire households coming to know Christ. Acts chapter 10, we see Cornelius. He gathers his whole, his whole household. They all turn to Jesus. I love it when individuals encounter Christ but then I always believe that there's this ripple effect that takes place, individuals and then entire households. And again, I stand before you as a testimony of that, a long line of alcoholism, generations of suicide, my mom herself taking her life, siblings that were meth heads and alcoholics. And I tell you, I stand before you with a restored family. Of us seven kids, none of us are alcoholics anymore. None of us are meth heads. None of, none of us are in jail anymore, although many of us were. Five of the seven of us kids are actually credentialed ministers today. That's the rest, restoration of Jesus Christ, the redemptive power of Christ. I have a brother who just planted a church out in Las Vegas, but everyone else calls Sin City. He has this burning, burning conviction in his heart that God wants to do a work there. God's just doing amazing things in his church in Las Vegas. And I just, I want to continue to go for that. You know, I don't know. There's been bad things in the past. I'm just going to keep my eyes on what Jesus has for us in the future. So much. If everyone would just stand to their feet. The church that Jesus set in motion 2,000 years ago is supposed to be simple. It really is. So don't be disillusioned by anything that you've, that you've experienced in your past. I don't know where you came from, what your experiences with church have been in the past, but don't let what you've experienced in the past dictate your future. God's got a fresh, a fresh vision, a fresh picture, a fresh image of what he purchased, what he paid for on the cross. We're going to go after that. If everyone just bow their heads and close their eyes. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.